Chapters twenty eight to thirty of Tristram Shandy, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, Volume two, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter twenty eight. My father's collection was not great, but, to make amends, it was curious, and consequently he was some time in making it. He had the great good fortune, however, to set off well, in getting Bruscambille's prologue upon great noses almost for nothing, for he gave no more for Bruscambille than three half-crowns, owing indeed to the strong fancy which the stall-man saw my father had for the book the moment he laid his hands upon it. There are not three Bruscambees in Christendom, said the stallman, except what are chained up in the libraries of the curious. My father flung down the money as quick as lightning, took Bruscambee into his bosom, hide home from Piccadilly to Coleman Street with it as he would have hide home with a treasure, without taking his hand once off from Bruscambee all the way. To those who do not yet know of which gender Briscambee is, inasmuch as a prologue upon long noses might easily be done by either, it will be no objection against the simile to say that when my father got home he solaced himself with Briscambee after the manner in which, tis ten to one, your worship solaced yourself with your first mistress, that is, from morning even unto night which, by the by, how delightful soever it may prove to the inamorato, is of little or no entertainment at all to bystanders. Take notice, I go no farther with the simile. My father's eye was greater than his appetite, his zeal greater than his knowledge. He cooled, his affections became divided, he got hold of Prignitz, purchased Scroderus, Andrea Piraeus, Boucher's evening conferences, and above all, the great and learned Hoffen Slockenbergius, of which, as I shall have much to say by and by, I will say nothing now. CHAPTER Twenty Nine. Of all the tracts my father was at the pains to procure and study in support of his hypothesis, there was not any one wherein he felt a more cruel disappointment at first than in the celebrated dialogue between Pamphagus and Cocles, written by the chaste pen of the great and venerable Erasmus, upon the various uses and seasonable applications of long noses. Now don't let Satan, my dear girl, in this chapter take advantage of any one spot of rising ground to get astride of your imagination, if you can any ways help it. Or, if he is so nimble as to slip on, let me beg of you, like an unbacked filly, to frisk it, to squirt it, to jump it, to rear it, to bound it, and to kick it, with long kicks and short kicks, till, like Tickle Toby's mare, you break a strap or a crupper, and throw his worship into the dirt. You need not kill him. And pray, who was Tickle Toby's mare? "'Tis just as discreditable and unscholar-like a question, sir, as to have asked what year, ab urbicondita, the second Punic war broke out. Who was Tickle Toby's mare? Read, 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 my unlearned reader, read, or by the knowledge of the great saint Parolepomenon, I tell you beforehand you had better throw down the book at once. 
for without much reading, by which your reverence knows I mean much knowledge, you will no more be able to penetrate the moral of the next marbled page, motley emblem of my work, than the world with all its sagacity has been able to unravel the many opinions, transactions, and truths which still lie mystically hid under the dark veil of the black one. There follow two marble plates. Chapter thirty Nihil me penetet hujus nasi, quoth Pamphagus, that is, my nose has been the making of me. Nec est cur poenitiat, replies Cocles, that is, how the deuce should such a nose fail. The doctrine, you see, was laid down by Erasmus, as my father wished it, with the utmost plainness, but my father's disappointment was in finding nothing more from so able a pen but the bare fact itself without any of that speculative subtlety or ambidexterity of argumentation upon it which heaven had bestowed upon man on purpose to investigate truth and fight for her on all sides my father pished and pewed at first most terribly tis worth something to have a good name as the dialogue was of erasmus my father soon came to himself, and read it over and over again with great application, studying every word and every syllable of it through and through, in its most strict and literal interpretation. He could still make nothing of it that way. Mayhap there is more meant than is said in it, quoth my father. Learned men, brother Toby, don't write dialogues upon long noses for nothing. I'll study the mystic and the allegoric sense. Here is some room to turn a man's self in, brother. My father read on. Now I find it needful to inform your reverences and worships that besides the many nautical uses of long noses enumerated by Erasmus, the dialogist affirmeth that a long nose is not without its domestic conveniences also, for that in a case of distress, and for want of a pair of bellows, it will do excellently well, ad excitandum focum, to stir up the fire. Nature had been prodigal in her gifts to my father beyond measure, and had sown the seeds of verbal criticism as deep within him as she had done the seeds of all other knowledge, so that he had got out his penknife and was trying experiments upon the sentence to see if he could not scratch some better sense into it. I've got within a single letter, brother Toby, cried my father, of Erasmus his mystic meaning. You are near enough, brother, replied my uncle, in all conscience. Shaw, cried my father, scratching on, I might as well be seven miles off. I've done it, said my father, snapping his fingers. See, my dear brother Toby, how I have mended the sense. But you have marred a word, replied my uncle Toby. My father put on his spectacles bit his lip, and tore out the leaf in a passion. End of chapters 28 to 30